Most footwear brands overlook natural materials for cheaper synthetic alternatives. But when it comes to quality, Mother Nature knows best. Allbirds took that idea and ran to create their iconic wool runners. Wool runners are made with premium supernatural materials that are both comfy and durable. So you can run to the ends of the earth or just to the store. Plus, they're machine washable to stay looking as fresh as the first day you got them. The Wool Runner Upper is made with superfine ZQ certified merino wool that's breathable, temperature regulating, and moisture wicking. And the sugarcane based sweet foam midsoles cushion your feet and put a little bounce in every stride with all day support. Allbirds are constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their materials. Even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, take a big step forward for Mother Nature with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. That's A L L B I R D S dot com. <laughs> uh, let's get started. Uh, we are speaking, of course, with uh, the Fratelli's uh, John Fratelli. The new album is Half Drunk Under a Full Moon. And uh, John, uh, before I say bonjour and how are you and all that stuff, I'm going to say if Living in the Dark is not a single, then I don't know what you're doing. I, I just don't, because that is such a great song. Uh... Well, that makes you and I are similar in that I don't know what I'm doing either. Um, uh, but when it comes to singles, long, long, long ago, I mean, for a start, for us, like a single is just a way of of promoting. Our, our right. You know, you know, we're not trying to we're not trying to get on the hit parade. <laughs> um, but it like, doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt, and. Uh, but like I'll, it's been such a long time since I remember any of us having much in the way of opinions <laughs> on singles because it's really not, it's it, it's not my job, you know. I don't know what gets played on the radio. Uh, there's some songs though that seem so obvious that that everybody, that they, you know, it doesn't even come up for discussion. Like mm-hmm. um, "Need a Little Love" seems like so obvious that it doesn't even need discussed, you know. Yeah, Need a Little Love, by the way, which is the first video and it's up on YouTube, is a great start. And I'm just saying that at some point when you get to single two, three and four, living in the dark has to be considered. But with that, uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour. And uh, let me just ask about the difficulties here. Uh, you know, Half Drunk Under a Full Moon is coming out. It's coming out in April. And normally the band, you know, throws everything in the van or the bus and heads off on tour. And now we've got the whole COVID situation, but not only that, uh, in the UK, you've got the whole Brexit situation where trying to get to France or trying to get to Germany is going to be a complete cluster. Um, Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges you're going to face in promoting this record, because the whole put it out tour thing doesn't seem like it's going to be able to happen. Yeah, you know, it's just not going to happen. And so... So on the one hand, you have all these opportunities that have been taken away from you. Right. you know, because it's not just the sort of the touring side of it. You know, there's lots of things in terms of, uh, of promoting a record that yeah. you would normally do and you would go and do in person, you know. Yeah, uh, stop by the BBC One or BBC Two or whatever you're doing. Or, or even, you know, even simple things like going and doing uh, little shows in record stores, you know, on the yeah. The album comes out. There are, there are so many things that are kind of off limits now. The flip side of that, and I think this comes from the fact that we've, you know, this this album's going to be a year late. 
And I think that that year has given us time, not really given us, it's given our, our management time to, you know, all of the plans that they had laid out, you know, were swept away in one go. But they've had a lot of time to, to really, to think of, of, of other ways that we can try and make up for it. And, you know, in the last sort of three or four weeks, day by day, we're getting more and more in the way of, of, um, of promotion, you know, opportunities that, that might help to really plug that gap. So, you know, would we, would, would we much rather have done it the usual way? Of course. But uh, I think we're, 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 it's, it's, um, it's been interesting to, to watch our, our manager have to, to find all these, these new, you know, I mean, he's actually actually had to earn a living. He's had. He's oh, had no, 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 I didn't mean that. He, <laughs> he's like that. Earn his no, keep. No, no. no I know. Just, I know you don't mean that. He, he uh, he's the he's the kind of guy who loves like that sort of challenge. Like I'm not like I'm not a guy who likes the challenge. I, I like the opposite of the challenge. So uh, yeah, some people thrive. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a great challenge. Uh, let me talk to you in terms of uh, musically and stylistically. Are you are you aiming for for pop radio or for radio, or do you just write what you write and then you sort of let it go where it goes? Yeah, it's the second one because it has to be. Uh, there are some people who can clearly write to to order, so to speak. Uh, you know, where if you said to them, "Hey, we want it to sound not exactly like." X, Y, Z, but we want it to sound something like, you know, as comparable to that enough that it would be played on radio everywhere. And there's some people that can take that instruction and go, oh, great, I don't have to do that. But I'm not, I'm not your guy for that job. That's just, that's, you know, the fact that our, our first record got a lot of radio play, especially in the UK, you know, it, it was seems it seemed for for a good year that it was on constant repeat, but th that was sheer fluke, you know. I I wasn't a big radio listener then, and I'm not now. That's just not a normal part of my sort of day to day life, which which is, I probably shouldn't be saying, you know, because. It, but let me just sort of qualify that by saying I have no issue. You know, it's not like I dislike radio. It's just. It's just never been a part of my, my daily life yet. When I go and listen, I co I completely agree with you. And I have these debates with my wife all the time. A song will come out, whatever, go west or some, you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood. And she'll start singing. I go, how do you know that? She goes, I used to listen to radio. I go, oh, because I never I never listened to radio. I always bought the album that I wanted and I played the album that I wanted. And, and I just didn't didn't mean yeah. anything to me. But like at the same time, every time I go and visit my mom, uh, no matter what day or what time of the day, what, no matter what she's doing, she has the radio on. So, you know, and I, and I like that too. I like that the radio is this really, uh, it's, it's, um, it's like a lot of people's best friend. Um, but really, when it comes to trying to fashion something that you think, yeah, that'll get played on radio. No, I wouldn't. I'm the wrong guy for that job. You're you're not you're not Desmond Child. He he knows how to write a good radio song. Let me let me just ask you the, the first who, who, who's that? Desmond Child, the guy who wrote all the songs in the '80s for uh, the Aerosmith, uh, Bon okay. Jovi. 
Yeah, in that case, he knows how to write a good radio song. He, he knows how to write a radio song. So, so let me just quickly ask you about this. So, so the first album does go off and you get a bunch of singles and you hit the, you know, you hit the road, I think with uh, uh, Kasabians, I think it was. We, we, yeah, we did a lot of yeah, support slots as well as our own thing. I mean, I think yeah. the, the, the biggest thing was we did the police reunion tour. Like that seemed like the pinnacle of it. You that, know, if you're, going to, if you're going to do support slots, then uh, after that, it's kind of downhill from there. Yeah. By the way, how do you get the the police support slot? Is that a record company? And I don't mean to be rude, but is that a record company buy on, or does Sting no. say, "I like this guy, bring him over"? Do you know what though? There's a, there is an interesting story to that, which is so I think uh, it's Miles Copeland, right? Is the police police's manager? Um, I think. In some way, he and Sting were, were, were either they were with or either associated with the, the sort of the, Amer- the American label we were with at the time. So even though we were on, you know, I don't know what it was, Universal or Island Records, it was like a, you know, a, a what do you call it? You know, An imprint? A, yeah, like a little, it's part of that family. Right, and the imprint was, label or the boutique label. Yeah, so it, it, it just so happened. In fact, funnily enough, Lady Gaga at the time was on that imprint as well. This was, before, I think this was when she was still using her, her real name and she hadn't become Lady Gaga yet. Um, but anyway, so the, there was that connection and we, you know, of course we want the, the, the support slot if there's, if there's some going. And um, so we were, you know, we had just come to the States to play, um, just a few little shows. I think we'd gone and done South by Southwest. And then I think we had done, you know, like a, a one-off show in like a club in Los Angeles. And then we were doing, I think, two nights in a club in like a small club in New York. So Miles Copeland came to the second night of the, the New York thing. By which point, we'd kind of been on tour for about a good 12, 14 months at that point. And, and, you know, my nerves were, were shredded and I had nothing left to give. And I think we had, that day we had played the Conan O'Brien show. Um, so this was like our first big, you know, US TV. It was the first big TV thing we'd had of any, anywhere. Um, so we'd done that in the afternoon and it, it hadn't gone well. Um, it, had gone, it had gone pretty badly. But, but, you know, like it was done, like it was recorded and it was going out that night. So because that was so early in the day and we weren't playing until like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, I, I spent the rest of that day uh, on my own with, uh, I don't know if it's the same where you are or North, you know, North America in general, but you guys, you can get these huge bottles of Jack Daniels, not just the normal size. These are like- yeah, Super-sized. Like America, thick and you know, they must be at least three feet high. Um, I bought one of those and decided to spend the day that way uh, because you know, and, and within an hour I'd forgotten about the the Colin O'Brien thing in the afternoon, and uh, and turned up for the gig. And you know, as soon as everybody saw me, everybody knew instantly that oh my god, you know, this is a this is a disaster. You know, not only because of the fact that this was the night, the night Miles Copeland was going to come and check us out to see if we would be suitable for some of those police supports. And uh, 
So I can't tell you what happened that night because, you know, I'm the last person that would know. Um, but, you know, he was there. He was in the room. I, I, he even saw me come on for the first encore and play uh, a solo version of New York, New York uh, without really knowing. No, I knew the words. I, I, I did know the words. And that afternoon, I kind of worked out the chords. But, you know, I, I don't think it was a very good rendition. Uh, and even after all that, he still, um, we still managed to get, get the gig. So um, maybe, maybe either he has a sense of humor or we weren't as bad as I imagined we were. Or maybe he was looking for a band that couldn't upstage the police. They'll be like, oh, yeah, these guys are perfect. <laughs> well, there's, a third, there's a third option, which is maybe he was, he was more drunk than me. And so yeah. <laughs> That's right. He was, he was more smashed than you. So, so let me just quickly explore that and get back to the new album. So you have this success. You have this tour. You know, you fly off to Australia. Everything is, is, is going well. And then you say, time out we need a break. And then you go do Codeine Velvet Club, you go do the two solo albums, and then you come back to the band or, or the band continues. While you were out doing these other projects, did, did you sort of just look around you and say, you know what? I like this band. I like these mates. I like this, this thing. Was it a, a question of coming home in a sense? Or was it always... Go ahead. You know, the absolute truth is that during that period and you know we weren't on a break we had really had split up the, the as far as as definitely as far as i could see that there was it, yes. there was no way it was going to happen but i was you know i, I was definitely a lot less i'm not even I'm, I'm in no way intelligent now but i was a lot less intelligent then but that in that time in between i absolutely loved the things that i was doing they they were some of the most, some of the most fun I've ever had playing music. So I, I really didn't give the, the Fratellis a thought at that time, and that's, it's, it, I realize as a, a soundbite that could sound terrible, but that's the, the absolute truth. And it's the truth, you know. But the flip side of that is that, and there was a certain point that I did start to realize, though, that you know there is still seems to be an audience out there that that want to see these three guys play and so in the first instance it was just a case of okay well let's just test that theory and we did a few shows and, and you know and you know it, it worked there were there were people bought tickets you know but venues that, that we were playing uh, before we had separated um were were you know we were still playing those venues and then we tried some more and then before you know it, you think, well, okay, well, this seems to just be working. So we, we did what you do and you start to make records and you, you start um, playing full tours. And, but, you know, just, just the one, the simple, to, to sort of simplify that, I couldn't be happier that, that, that we did that because this, this sort of second, the second chapter in this band's life has been uh so much more uh, uh, rewarding than the first one was and um this is uh I'm, I'm so glad that that we didn't let that sort of that chance uh slip slip by slip by is there then 
such a thing as chemistry when they because they always talk about band chemistry. It wasn't the same after he left. Did, did you know you did the the coding thing? You do the solo albums. You're playing with these different musicians. Did you get a sense of this is great, or did you get a sense of there's, there's no chemistry here, or or maybe both? Did no, and and that's the thing about chemistry is that uh, you know you could equate it to the way people talk about uh, about uh, you know romantic relationships, you know. Like uh, you know that that the, there's the one, you know there's the one, you know that's a myth. Like that's one of our greatest myths. It's it's a pretty harmless myth, but it's still a myth. You know there are m- multiple people that that you that you uh, that, that you that you could find that kind of chemistry with and spend the rest of your life with. You know it's not just one. Um, but the chemistry thing is also absolutely true as well. You know, when we when when we started to play together, we'd never met before. We didn't know each other in any way. We came from really three completely different. We were coming from three completely different places, and uh, from the first moment that it was just the three of us in a rehearsal room, it had what you could definitely call chemistry. You know, when you could smell it. you you couldn't it couldn't be uh, ignored or denied so there is definitely such a thing just just quickly talk to me about that because a lot of bands you know it's all these three guys were in high school and we were chums and we've known each other for 15 years and we thought okay we'll do a band you you really sort of answered an ad and went all right i'll go check this out was how, how can i put this when you get together that first time, is it just like, ah, oh, let's see what happens? And then you plug in, you go, oh. And and were you not getting that with other bands and other situations? Or was it just really you hit these three or these two guys, I should say, and just went, oh, okay. Yeah. This is a whole new ball game. I mean, I wasn't in a band. I hadn't been in a, I'd been in one band before that. I'd, I wasn't looking to be in a band. I mean, I really, really wasn't looking to be in a band. Uh, my only interest then and really now is, is the is is to write songs and to and to be able to spend all of my time if I want to uh, p- playing with these things. The the whole idea of, of there being an end point where you might go out and play them to people or you might record a record and then go out and, you know and release that record that that's that's that, that's really not doesn't come into my thinking at all. So there's, there's a long convoluted reason why we even got to the point where the three of us were in the same room. There was a really particular reason. Um, but as soon as we did, apart from the fact that I thought this, okay, this, there's something about this that's, that's hard to place, but that really, really works. Um, it was also completely the opposite. And what I was hearing from this noise that we were making was the complete opposite of of what of of, uh, of how it probably would have or should have sounded um, had uh, yeah had had it sounded like the reason why we were even there in the first place. That all sounds quite sort of convoluted. It's just that it, it we, we got together to do one thing. Um, because one particular record label liked 
a bunch of nice songs. We got together really to do that. And in an instant, that went out the window because something else had, had uh, it didn't even develop, you know, something else was there on that first night that took, up, took us in a completely different direction. Different direction. And uh, I'll just remind folks, uh, Half Drunk Under a Full Moon comes out in April. And I'll finish on this question. You, you did talk about songwriting there. Is that something you want to see going down the future where you'll just, you know, you, you give up on the performing and, and just be a songwriter and send songs to, to the Lady Gagas of this world and just be that guy? I, I The problem is I can't be that guy. You know, like I, I did, there was a point around about 2008-2009 where my publisher asked me if I wanted to go down that route. You know, you know you're clearly able to write uh, pop songs, you know, with hooks. Everybody's, you know, these are the things that people seem to be desperate for. And I, and I gave it my best shot. And the, but the truth is, I, that I, I don't know how to do that. And I only know how to write for my own amusement. It's not even enjoyment. I don't even, I don't always enjoy it. It's, it's for my own amusement. Uh, so the, the, there is no alternative for me. Like, I either don't do it at all, or I keep doing what I've always done, which is to write for my own amusement. And the, the, where that leads to is always, you know, uh, a Fratelli's record and then everything that goes with that. And then, you know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, uh, it's really not it a way to, 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 to spend your life. Yeah. And, 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 you know, sometimes you, you need that personal connection to the song in order to sell it or to deliver it. And it's hard to just throw it out there and hope that somebody else puts in the emotion and the thought behind it and, and understands what you're trying to say, but uh, under half, half drunk under a full moon, uh, April 9th, uh, as we say in Montreal, merci. Always a pleasure. We should do this uh, at least once a year. Once a week. Yeah. Once a week. <laughs> well, you'll be my new co-host. <laughs> appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye now. All right. And uh, stop.